If we ever get into another global pandemic, I want you to hold me accountable because I had a real problem during the pandemic. We had crazy things happening, right? I mean, people were growing facial hair. They shouldn't have been growing early in the days of the pandemic. I, I was there. Do you remember that? Like everybody was like, I'm going to grow a beard during the pandemic. What is going on? Why are you going? You see these people and you go, why are you growing facial hair? Stop. Everybody was dyeing their hair all crazy colors. Like, what is happening? This isn't like, this, everybody kind of looked at the global pandemic and looked at it a way of being like, hey, you know what? Since COVID hit, I can kind of do whatever I want. That is not what a pandemic is about. Just so we're all clear. That may explain why we had so many problems and why the thing lasted as long as it did. Everybody kind of took it out as a get out of jail free card, apparently. And then another thing that happened is you have people growing facial hair they shouldn't have grown. You have people dyeing their hair, colors they probably shouldn't have dyed their hair. And then you had people who started buying things online, buying more things than they probably should have bought online. And if you needed a job as a delivery person, you were going to find it during the pandemic, right? Because we were all filling our porches with boxes and boxes of stuff that we look now and we say, did I really need to buy that? And for us, for us, I need to admit this, one of those things was our, our Lego collection. It, it got a little crazy. It got to a point that it was kind of like, you know what? I feel like we just, we just don't feel really great today. Let's buy another Lego. Let's, and then you're going to look at me and say, no, Ryan, you probably don't have that many Lego. This is my, exhibit, my example of how many Lego we have. So I need you to hold me accountable in the future that maybe we won't buy as much Lego as we currently have. But you know what? The girls love it. They think it's the greatest thing. And I, my Lego fit in a box that was like the size of my iPad, maybe just a little bit you know, deeper, but that's all the Lego I had. And the girls, the girls will look at me and they'll go, Daddy, how did, you, how did you survive with that little red box of Lego? I don't know. Talk to Grandma. That's the only thing that I... But here's what I want to tell you about Lego. Lego is the perfect metaphor for the first value, what we call directions that I want to talk about today. And I wasn't sure where I wanted to go as we hit this anniversary, but it has been a few years since we have talked about these directions, these values that we have as a church. And the first value that we're going to talk about is our value of connection. See, we entered the pandemic and we were all connected in a lot of different ways, right? We all had all kinds of things going on, work, school, church, relationships, intertwined, connected in all kinds of different ways. But when the pandemic hit, all of those connections felt like they just got severed. It felt like what we had taken was our Lego and we had just smashed our Lego, and all the pieces just kind of went everywhere. We were all kind of trying to figure out, how do you put all these pieces back together? And so we all tried our best. Many of those connections broke, and they had to be rebuilt. We've had to reconnect and restore those connections on the other side. So we find ourselves with a bunch of choices now. How do I want to reconnect? And I think this is an honest question that we have to talk about because I think it's super important for us. What are the connections that actually matter to me? One of the coolest things, I think this is one of the greatest things that I'm seeing, is that people are making an honest effort to say that family matters more to me. 
In fact, family has become such a central priority to people. They're, they're shifting it up in their places and their priorities. And people are saying, I'm going to put family before work. Good. I'm going to put family before my own entertainment, my own thing. Good. Like we needed to do that. We needed some of that reset. And so we have other places with we have work that we're trying to figure out how do we connect with other people. We're trying to figure out all of those things. How does it look to reconnect? Will we do it the same or will we do it a different way? Now, I don't want to tell you, and I'm not going to do this for you. I'm not going to tell you how you should reconnect in every other area of your life. I don't know. You've got to figure out those pieces. You've got to think about those priorities. But I do hope that as we look at our connect direction today, that it'll be an invitation for you to think about your connection points and the things that you're prioritizing. So to do that, I want us to look at this passage in the book of Hebrews. It's found in chapter 10, and this is what it says. And I, I think this will help us begin to think about one of those connections, maybe the most significant connection, that if we're not careful, ends up kind of getting left out of that box as we begin to reconnect and reestablish and rebuild. So listen to this. This is a really fascinating passage. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Now, when I read that passage, I have to be honest with you, I think about that we have kids in our space with us today. Because as we continue in this season, one of the things that we decided was we wanted to come together as families, as one big church community, to see each other, to reconnect, to have church together. And as I read a passage like that, I think about Maggie or I think about Emily, and I read these certain words, and I think to myself, they're going to read that, and those are some really big, strange, weird words, and I wonder if they're going to understand it. So today what I want to do is I want to tell you, I don't care if you do understand this passage or not, I'm going to bring it down for their level because I think this is so significant for our kids to hear, and then we're going to learn as we bring it down to their level for them as well. Does that make sense? Because I look at this and I read this, and sometimes I read it and I see he's capitalized most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and whoever wrote this, man, they love commas more than I do. I thought when I did my master's program, I would have a whole page and there wouldn't be a single period in that thing. It would be all commas. And I'd be like, I now I know what I'm doing. I know how to write. Dan Lichtenberger is shaking his head. This was the fun in the academic world. How many semicolons, how many commas can I put in? And the writer of Hebrews is going, I face you and I challenge you. I'm going to put more commas and you're going to know what to do with. But here's what's happening here. The section of verses begins with this imagery. And I love this imagery. And I want you to hear this. Emily has, she, she loves fantasy and she loves thinking about imagery. So imagine this, Emily, this imagery. It talks about this most holy place, the house of God, and a big open curtain. What's happening here? This was written to a group of the followers of Jesus who understood this language. It was familiar to them because it was talking about the reality of the temple that was in Jerusalem. So these were Jewish people. 
most likely a community that was predominantly Jewish people who understood what the temple was. And so when they heard the most holy place, when they heard about this curtain, they understood they could see this in front of them. They could see this big building with this giant curtain. They had been there traveling with their families because they would go on trips there. Maybe, maybe once a year, if they could afford to, they would go there because everybody tried to get there to see the temple. And it was like, man, it was like going like, like for us, like it's weird, right? We go on vacation, we're like, we're, we're going to St. Louis this year. We're going to see the arch. And we're like, oh, it's going to be awesome. But like back then it was like, we're going to the temple. Like, can you imagine seeing the temple? And the excitement that they had and the excitement that they were thinking about when they got there. So the temple was divided into sections, and so, so, so you were limited by it based on who you came, who you were, where you came from. In essence, listen to this, in essence, your connection to God was limited by who you were and where you came from. So your connection to God, how close you could get to that temple, how close you could get to that place was limited by some things about your past, about your family about the kind of person you were, the area that you came from. And that area then that he's talking about here, this most holy place, was closed off by, to everybody else by a huge curtain, and it, it hung in front of this door. And really only a priest could walk through this big curtain and get into this most holy place, but in that most holy place was where the presence of God was to be found. So it's sort of like you come to the temple, and you'd be like walking in, and you'd have this big, you know, part that you could, everybody could kind of go into. And it was kind of like Wayne's World. You had your pass, and you would walk in. You'd be like, is this cool? Is this cool? Can I come in? Is this cool? And you'd walk into the next part, you know, and you'd get into that part, kind of look around. You'd see some people. You'd be like, left those suckers behind. I get to go to the next part. And you'd walk in. You'd be like, is this cool? Is this cool? Is this cool? And you walk in. You get into the next part. You look around. Now you're in a little bit more secluded company. And then if you're the high priest, you're walking in. You're going, is this cool? Yeah, it's cool because I'm the high priest. And I'm going in the temple, and I put a rope around me because I don't know what's going to happen when I get in there. And he'd walk in, he'd go in this curtain, and they'd have this rope, and they'd be holding it because they had no idea. That was where God was found. What's God going to do with this guy going into this place? So they'd hold this rope, and he'd go in there, do his thing, and come back out. But he could go into the presence of God. And so imagine, imagine if you were there on that day. You're like watching this happen. You're watching this high priest get, you know, strapped onto this rope, and you're like, he's going in! You look at your kids, you're like, he's going, can you believe it? What's going to happen in there? Just watching. Wow. I don't know, man. Did he come out? Like, was he glowing? I don't know. But he went into the presence of God. So it's that context that this author is talking to us. And then he says that. He says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. It's like thinking about these people, man. They're sitting there listening to this letter that, you know, the church got. It would be like us getting a letter from somebody telling us. And I'm reading this letter out loud to you guys. So here, here in this part of the letter, he tells us, he says, uh, guys, we, apparently we have access to the most holy place. We do? Sweet. Wow. Are you serious? And he keeps reading it. And like, I imagine his voice is getting all emotional. By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through that curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, since Jesus is on our side, 
Let us draw near to God. Take your pass and shove it, because I get to go in. Nobody's going to stop me from going in there. I don't have to prove to anybody that I get to go in that place. You know who told me I get to go in? Jesus. I told you guys this story. Man, it makes me think about my dad. Because he said to me, he goes, you know, people always say, you know, St. Peter's going to be standing there. We know this is not, this is not reality, okay? I promise St. Peter's not, well, I, I don't know. But St. Peter, you know, everybody says, he's standing at the gates, you know, and he's like, he's like, come on in. My dad's like, I don't need him to tell me to come on in. I'm going to shove him out of the way, and I'm going to go straight to Jesus. I don't need somebody to tell me that I belong in heaven. And I'm like, yes! <laughs> that's preaching right there. Like, that's a sermon, guys. Like, that's what's happening. He says, you don't need that. You don't have to have permission. So in that context, he's saying, because of Jesus, we have the ability to connect with God. What the author is saying is that before Jesus, people had no true access to God's presence because even the blood of sacrifices that they brought would never truly atone for their sin. That curtain was permanent. However, through Jesus, access has been granted to everyone. And when I say everyone, it means everyone. There's a dramatic moment found in the book of Matthew. It actually talks about the physical tearing of this curtain. It's such an awesome picture. Listen to this. I think he's thinking about this. Matthew 27, it says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. So the author of this passage wants us to see that this physical reality had spiritual implications for everyone, including you and me. I think it's fascinating. You read that passage, and people are looking around there, and it, there's always these little sides. So this happens. The, the, the curtain gets torn. The rocks apparently shake, and these guys are like, man, that guy must have really been the Messiah. Like, that's the aside. That's the rest of that passage. Like, who writes like that? Like, I'm thinking of these two guys. These two guys are sitting around. They look at each other. Hey, Bill, did you see that just now? That guy must have been the Messiah. I guess so. The curtain was torn. The rocks were shaking. I hope that there was somebody, and maybe that person standing here going, it's open. We all get to go in. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What he's saying is Jesus made you good enough and nobody can tell you that you don't belong because Jesus done did it. How's that for language, Dan? (laughs) But listen, there's something here I don't want us to miss. Look at what the author says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Another word here for draw could be connect. The author says, you know, he, he's, he doesn't say, so, so connect, draw near to God when you've got time for it. Draw near to God when you decide that, you know, you're going to go ahead and make God a priority. He doesn't tell us to wait on God to do something else before we connect. He's saying the move has been made. Now you decide. 
The, the first move was made. You have been invited. It's up to you now if you're going to walk through that door. We hear similar language in the book of James. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So as I began to think about this, I thought about this way. I, I don't know where you're at in your faith right now. We've all been through a lot, and for some of you, God might feel a long ways away. Can I be honest with you? There, there were times that I sat at my computer during the pandemic, and I said, God, if you're real, I really need you to tell me, because I'm struggling. We had a book study that we did together with a few of us, and so we read together. We talked through this book, because we were all having some struggles with our faith. Yeah, Same. So I, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at in your faith. We've been through a lot. In some ways, God feels really far away. It feels like that open curtain is way there. And sometimes you feel like I'm walking towards it, and it feels like it's getting further away from me. And I get that. So while we have an invitation to move, we also have an invitation to trust. So listen to this again. Draw near to God. Listen, listen, listen. There's a comma here. Draw near to God. Did you see the second part? And he will draw near to you. God is faithful in your worry. God is faithful in your fear. God is faithful in your doubt. The author of Hebrews knew that, which is why he wrote this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God's faithful in your worry, in your fear. God is faithful in your doubts. I know it feels like that open curtain might be a long ways away. But what he's saying is, look, look, look. If you walk, it's going to get closer. And when you walk through it, it's where the presence of God is found. And that's a promise in this text for us. Nobody knew, think about this, nobody knew what was behind the curtain. Nobody knew what was inside the most holy place. But what they did know was that they were about to experience the reality of God's presence. So I understand not having it all figured out. That's the beauty of our relationship with God. That's the beauty of the imagery here. That what I get to do as we close up today is I get to say this to you. I don't know where you're at, but draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you're sitting outside thinking, I don't know that I can go through that door. I don't know if I'm supposed to enter that place. Let me just hear, hear me say this. You belong. He's already done it. The, the, the invitation's already been given. Now you just get to simply walk and go into his presence and experience life with him. It's like my dad going into heaven and saying, get out of my way, I'm coming to Jesus. He didn't have to wait to die for that to happen. He experienced that over 50 years ago when he gave his life to Jesus. And you get to do the same thing. So sometimes we say a solemn prayer like, you know, I have to be really careful, you know, quiet here and give my life to Jesus. No, what I want you to say is, get out of my way. I'm coming to Jesus today. And I'm connecting with Jesus right now. Let's pray. God, as we 
come into this space in this moment, in this time, we come to this table. And it's this table is our time of communion, connection, relationship with you. At this table, we remember the gift of Jesus. His body broken for us, his blood that was poured out for us, that broken body that represents that curtain that was torn in half that opened the way for us to enter the presence of God. And while sometimes all of that seems so rich and deep and theological a mystery, we don't even understand all of it. What we understand is that through Jesus, our connection to you is restored. And so as we come to this moment, as this place, as we take this bread and we drink this cup, we are reminded of the gift of that restoration. We are reminded of that restoration. We are reminded of the new life that Jesus brings into our lives. So Father, we come in this moment and we worship and we come to this table together. This table that just like the holy of holies in that temple is now open to everyone. Let us come to this table this morning and worship you. Amen.